Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. Welcome back to the Electrify Expo podcast, brought to you by the creators of the Electrify Expo. I'm Matt Teske, and again here with Joe Boris. Wow. What? That was the best intro so far. <laughs> Was it? I don't know. I think it? So. Well, we got a lot to talk about this week. I want to start it off with, you know, some motorsport stuff. It feels like we've been doing or seeing, I guess, a lot of drag racing stuff in the last week or so. Lucid not only went out with their full weight air prototype and running nine nine, they came back later with like an upgraded one with some slick tires on it and whatever, and ran a nine point three. Yeah, that thing's moving, man. I didn't see the 9.3. That's that's bonkers. It's like super bonkers. And then Ford, they took a gas-powered, you know, Cobra Jet. I mean, gas, I think, is pretty loose at that point. There's a lot of lead in there, maybe nitromethanol. (laughs) I was going to say this. this Liquid-fueled. Burn. (laughs) It's a lot of things that burn. Let's go with liquid-fueled Cobra Jet. And that was a a production model. That's the one that they sell if you want to start a race team. You can buy a Cobra Jet. Uh, And they ran that with their electric one. And in that particular run, the electric one ran about 8.8 and lost to the internal combustion one. But then in a later run that was just by itself, it actually ran a quicker time than the gas car. So, you know, I don't know if that was Ford maybe playing up to the fan base a little bit and uh, then doing the second run for us, for the green people. (laughs) What do you think? Uh, yeah, were they, were they were they catering to the green masses? I, I'll I'll be honest, the two runs that thing popped a mean wheelie like that was yeah legit, like ooh torque. I think that lane was just doing better that day because when honestly you, when you took it into the other lane, it ran better. So yeah, the first pass was in the right lane, I think. Right? I'm not sure. Right? I was looking at it when they were coming at me, so I thought it was on the left. left I don't lane. know. Yeah, so it'd have been my right from the back. Your left. It's like right. it's almost like time zones. I don't really know how they work. That's true, because right now it's daytime in your world. No, is it technically nighttime? Oh, it's later than you. That's true. You don't so know how they evening. work either. This is the best podcast anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> expert, <laughs> expert commentary, smart, clever observations, and copious amounts of what looks like low-grade alcohol. This and it's low-grade, but I am not parched this week. <laughs> It was so bad. I had like cotton mouth. I was like, what is going on? This is terrible. I know. I, I uh, felt that uh, it seemed like there was a need to explain our behavior. So we went with uh, Matt is, has nothing to drink and Joe's torture <laughs> with a giant cooler of water. Literally, it was the size of your torso. Um, so uh, was Ford pandering? No, I think that they, I think that they have, at least on their hands, one hell of a fast car that they wanted to you know, show off to the world. It would have been cool to see them race side by side again to see if it truly was the lane element that was the reason why the electric lost to the gas-powered uh, Cobra on the first run. But, you know. Yeah, you never know. I mean, I, it, so much of that is in the run, you know. I mean, early on, it was, man, it was like 10 years ago now. Tim Schweitzer, we went out to Norwalk with this 911 that we were doing. This was like a standalone ECU E85. This is like early days of this stuff, 2008, 2009. And we ran a bunch of passes that were like, 10-4, 10-3, and then we did one that it hooked up right and it hopped off the line and it was a 9.79. What? And, That's uh, like a half second. What? Yeah, and dude, that was the only one anyone ever saw. It got like 10,000 views. We never posted the other ones. We're like, 
throw that SD card away. That that ten three never happened. This is a nine well, second car. This is a nine second car. But now the problem is the world now knows that it was only a nine second car once. <laughs> well, no, on that day it was only a nine second car once. Oh, that, was, I, that was a long I time missed, ago. There are a lot. I missed the fine now. print. I think they're uh, into the sevens now with that thing. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was at LACR when Ed Bergenholtz beat Steph Papadakis. Basically, they both ran nines that day. Steph yeah. ran like a nine nine for the first, like broke tens for the first time. But then in the unibody, Bergenholtz ran like a nine eight seven or something like that. Everyone was just like, "Holy crap!" Like, I mean, you just hadn't seen it before. And of all things, at LACR. Because you'd always hear those things in Southern California. It was like, yeah, but it's higher elevation. If you were racing, you know, down in the valley, you'd have probably seen a time of maybe like 0.2 seconds faster. So yeah. the fact that they were breaking tens that day was bonkers. But the reason why we're talking about this, kids, is that fast cars are fast. And the Cobra Jet that is electric it's is fast. fast. It's running sub nines. It gets right. into the eights. Eight is lower than nine. But I think it's worth saying, too, that like – we're talking about like the most evolved Cobra jet internal combustion engine that's working on a hundred plus years of Ford's core competencies at the racetrack with a race team with a professional driver against what's essentially a one-off, you know, a highly developed one-off, but a one-off concept car. And for them to even be close, I think that that's just huge. I mean, we're looking at really maybe a second, maybe a third generation electric machine versus a 40th generation right. ICE yes. car. Yeah. yeah so I, well, I think that that's, I think we're in, we're in good shape there. You know, the other funny thing is that's not the only electric car Ford had on a track this week, or this last weekend they were showing Ken off. Ken Block. Yeah. Was that Ken Block? I didn't know Ken that. Block. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to get I some or... stickers all over the car. Oh, that's, I think it's almost, yeah, that's got to be like synonymous now. But yeah. honestly, I think when it, when it happens, they just, even with the, uh, the, the Mustang Mach-E that they had uh, the demos for a few weeks ago that we talked about, same thing. They handed the keys to Ken. It was like, hey, have a great time. But this was not a pure electric Mustang. This was a Fiesta. This was a Rallycross Fiesta. You know, Rallycross being like some dirt, some stuff like that. It's like an internal short course kind of race series that they're doing to try to get a, a bigger audience for rally cars and rally racing to try to kind of do it inside a stadium. And this thing's crazy, but what makes me laugh is like this this one article that I found on this thing that the headline is, yes, you can still shred tires in an electric Fiesta. And I think you are the one who made the comment, like, it's an electric car. That's all they do is shred tires. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, you, you've clearly never been behind the wheel of an electric car. That's the thing is you can have how many, how many people have driven electric cars for the first time? Well, they'll be in like slow traffic at 30 miles an hour where they'll need to get around somebody and then they'll punch it and break the tires loose. Yeah. It's like, holy cow, this thing is just torque for days. So yeah, I got a kick out of the fact that, hey, you can still do it this way. It's like, you're talking about a vehicle that has more torque than you've ever probably driven. <laughs> but I think that that speaks to like the general, I don't want to say enthusiast consensus because like keep in mind, like it, at its height, at the height of its powers, car and driver had like what? one and a half million subscribers at a, yeah. in a country with 300 million people. So like not a big percentage of people are enthusiasts, right? Yeah. And I think car and driver was fairly middleweight. Like it wasn't like super street or sport truck where like you were like into the nuts and bolts of things. Oh no. Car and driver in that sense was still much more mainstream. If you're a pure enthusiast, you're talking books like, yeah, super street, sport compact car, turbo, Euro tuner, yep. small mags too, that probably had a good readership that were, 
comparable to the mainstream mags. Yeah, so, I mean, and you had like everything that used to be McMullen Argus back in the '90s. That was all great stuff. I think that that speaks to the fact that you know the the average Tom, Dick, and Harry, the guy that you know takes his car to Jiffy Lube once a year, whether it needs it or not, <laughs> you know that guy he, he doesn't understand that a Prius isn't an electric car. That's true. Yeah. You know, to him, that's a well, yeah, I don't electric cars are slow because a Prius is slow and that's electric. Yeah, that's the the, the, the misnomer and the, and the and the misconception of what's making this thing go. And this is where I think there could be something done, you know, to clarify to people what these differences are in the sense that, yeah, hybrid still runs on gasoline. You know, it's, it's not, I guess. yeah, it's just the hap- it happens to have, you know, something in the drivetrain that makes it more efficient while running on gasoline. Yeah. And while we're talking about hybrids, I think, you know, we were talking about the Bronco a couple of weeks ago, how it came out without a hybrid option. And we were kind of lamenting that it was a missed opportunity because a lot of trails that are out there don't allow internal combustion vehicles because of the dry forests out there and the dry environment. They don't want to have fires, which I mean, there's fires aren't really something that happens though, is it? Oh yeah. Well, you know, here, in or- <laughs> here in Oregon, we have a different opinion right now of what that means. <laughs> Looking out my window, and it looks like I'm in a in Blade Runner three. So yeah, it's interesting. Even bringing up that topic too is like there's going to be more evidence coming out about how enthusiast vehicles are going to need to be reimagined. Yes. So the Bronco conversation, it's it's part of that. It's just that if you still want to have an off road experience and do what you've always done while being more mindful of things that we now know are a massive problem. I, if I was an enthusiast that wanted to go off-roading or rock crawling, the last thing I would want to think about is the hot exhaust I had hit a, hit a bush and started a 100,000-acre fire. If you're doing that in a rock crawler that's a battery-powered electric and you can reduce the concern of that, that's a big deal. Yeah, and that you know, to that end, I think Jeep is really hitting that pretty well where they came out with the 4xe hybrid. Now, this is a, a fairly standard hybrid in the way that we've come to know hybrids over the last 20 plus years of Toyota Priuses, right? You drive around on the electric, on the uh, gas powered motor. It gives you a little bit of electric boost to accelerate and things like that to reduce the uh, load on the internal combustion engine. But this one has 25 miles of pure electric range. And what I like about that is, like we said, you can go out to the trail, you can go out to where you need to go, and then you put it in electric. You're out there in, the, in nature, you're out there in the wilderness. And like we talked about the electric bass boat last week, you can really get out there without disturbing or making a ton of noise or chasing off the wildlife that you're there to see. Well, there's something to be said about people that have driven Subarus and, you know, and, and all wheel drive off-road vehicles like Jeeps and others over the years. These are people that, that enjoy getting into the wilderness because they do actually appreciate it. And so there's a, there's a reality there to that and how that might be more mindful to those things that they enjoy getting out and being a part of in nature. I think it's a good thing. I, I will say, as we're describing this, and as I heard you talking about it, I think it's important to point out, again, kind of that difference of how these things operate with the terminology is, is essentially we've got gas cars, we have hybrid vehicles like the Prius, and then we have plug-in hybrid vehicles like right. this new Jeep 4xe, and then we have battery electric vehicles, which are pure electric cars. And all these terms and names just don't really function well. If there was a way to genuinely show like a, like a visualization of like an oil drop for gas, an oil drop for a hybrid, oil plus a lightning bolt for like a plug-in hybrid, and then a lightning bolt for pure electric, I think that would actually help people a lot like if they were shopping. We as enthusiasts and as people who are in this business, we often get lost in that because we understand the terminology. Like we know what we're talking about. So yeah. when we talk to other people, we think that they know 
what we know and they don't know what we know. We don't even know what we know. <laughs> we don't even know what we know. What are we doing? <laughs> and I think every anybody listening and anybody that has a job where they have a core like a core focus they work on every day, mm-hmm. everybody's guilty of this. You know, you come home and you have a conversation about whatever your day was like and you'll start dropping terminology into the conversation with your spouse or friends or whoever that goes right over their head. And they probably politely nod and go, oh, okay, yeah, it sounds terrible, but I have no idea what the hell you just said. And in the world of electrification, that's no joke. Yeah. Is, and that's a big, big deal. And, and that's part of you know, what you know, brands, like, brands like Tesla have gotten, you know, gotten into a place where they've done a good job with how they frame some of these conversations, but they've gotten away with it because they put you into their little bubble of their world and they know how to talk about it. If you call it a Tesla supercharger, it's only a Tesla supercharger and only Tesla cars can use it. But when you hear people calling other fast chargers superchargers, it's like, ah, no, that's not the same thing. It's, it's totally it's different. Not like a, it's not like a Xerox machine, which is any generic machine that makes photocopies? So you know what that's called? Is It's called genericide. I learned this in my marketing classes when I went to school, is when someone says something about a brand or a product and they reference it as the product itself. So if someone says, hey, can you hand me a Kleenex? It's like, no, you want them to hand you a facial tissue. But Kleenex has become synonymous with that product. And so Tesla, as a company, similarly, even their charging stations have become synonymous with what you want it to be, a fast charger. It's a supercharger. It's like, yeah, but it's not. It's a, it's a completely different plug type, a completely different power level. That, that matters to a driver. You know, if someone says, hand me a Kleenex, and you hand them a cotton L, who gives a damn? I mean, do you think we're nerds that we know that stuff? Mm. Yes. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so we're talking about brands and marketing. You know what is a brand like Tesla? Mm. <laughs> so there was some big news with Nikola this week that's gotten some people pretty pretty excitable, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go no, go go on. What was this news that, that happened? Oh, so it started with something that seemed pretty simple. So as we all know, Nikola has been talking about this Badger pickup truck that they have done drawings of and renderings, but they haven't actually built one. And they were talking about, this is the kind of thing we're going to build when we have money from this IPO. They did their IPO. They got billions of dollars. And this week they announced that they had entered into a sort of functional partnership with GM. But the fine print isn't that it's a partnership. The fine print is they gave GM $2 billion worth of stock. So essentially they paid them $2 billion and agreed to purchase at a later date X amount of these Badger trucks that General Motors was going to build for them, presumably on the new electric Hummer chassis. That has, uh, <laughs> for one, I think it's confused a lot of people. But number two, it, it's kind of interesting to see this because Nikola has gone from a company that that really had a drawing to now they have like billions of dollars of R&D and access to all of these, you know, tier two and tier three suppliers that can make the mirrors and the seats and the buttons. And like, it really seems like they're going to be able to build this badger. But is it (laughs) a badger now or is it like really just like a like a slightly different looking Silverado? Yeah, it's 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 that. I mean it's it's no different the fact that like the Chevrolet Bolt is actually the LG bolt, right? They had to find they had to go and find the product and build it. Oh, it's different. It's different because GM is a company that builds bodies. GM is a company that assembles vehicles. Cool. Even if they they, they do that very well. Yeah, even if they went and got this battery from LG or from Magna Steyr or who cares, it still seems like a GM product that they designed and they made. Someone else made the battery for them. And, and I'm not discounting that, but 
this is a different animal. This is a company that is trying to establish itself as an automaker saying, we're not actually going to make anything. <laughs> we're just going to well, buy stuff and resell it to you. Well, that's my biggest concern is that in, in, especially in, in the case of Nikola is to me, it's no different than what happened with Fisker of like, Hey, we've got this car and it's got X amount of range and the, and the charging is going to be all these great things. Oh, PS, never mind. We're using a drivetrain from this completely other different company now. And it's like, okay, if that's all it takes to, to formulate a solid EV brand is, is purely the marketing, well, let me tell you, I've got some friends who <laughs> know how to draw some cool cars. That's what bothers me the most about this is, is this partnership, it does lend to what could be great news for EVs, but it also, to me, speaks to the fact that there was some smoke and mirrors going on from both sides of the conversation. And I'm not personally convinced that just because there's a lot of money exchanging hands here and there's a lot of money at the table that either GM or Nikola are in the position to do what is actually necessary to create the right product. You do still have to have the right vision and the right leadership. And this to me was, it came out of left field. I'm not hundred percent convinced this is going to pan out into amazing things. I think it's going to be an interesting exercise in terms of what is going to be more successful, a legacy brand or a new brand, even if it's the same product. And like, I I get that people are upset by this, especially people like us who have worked hard in the industry and tried to build our own things. I got to say though, I don't see too much different here than any other badge engineer product. Like, is there really anything to an Audi that is not a Volkswagen? Oh, no, in that sense, it's, it's very comparable in that sense. This is where the legacy brands are trying to figure out where they fit in the conversation. You've got legacy yes. brands like Volkswagen who arguably what they are proving and wanting to prove is they have dedicated themselves as a corporation to say, we are going to fundamentally transition what we are as an automobile company to embrace software technology, to embrace battery manufacturing, and to make this a core part of who we are as a company. And to the notion that Nikola somehow has behind the scenes these capabilities that will somehow lend to GM's plans, I'm unconvinced of that based on... Oh, no. I don't think anybody's convinced of that. I thought the way that I read this was the total opposite. I read this as Nikola basically admitting that they have nothing and they need somebody else to build it for them. Well, and that's, I, well I think that's 100% true for sure. If, if at the end of the day, this play is purely because Nikola had cash in the bank, and they were able to throw it at GM and GM was like, Hey, we'll take X percent equity of your company and, and we'll take this cash and do something good with it. Then, okay. Smart play from a financial perspective. What does that mean for the Nikola brand? It means that it honestly is just that there's a brand. It's yeah. It's, it's not doing anything for GM. And so, I mean, are people going to be clamoring to buy a badger because of how this is all coming to pass? I think it might be turning into maybe a harder sell down the line, especially for people that are looking for authenticity. I think you're too smart for this. I, you know, this is, <laughs> That's awesome. I, I do. I think you're way too smart for this. I think, you know, th- how many guys do you know that are like shade tree mechanics that swear by their craftsman tools and like, all oh, that shit's yeah. made by Ryobi, like all the power, you know, the drills and everything, all that stuff was Ryobi. The air compressors were, I think by Ingersoll for a while, you know, all of that was a branding exercise, a rebranding of existing products that were out there because, you know, the shade tree mechanic in Wyoming would not buy a Ryobi or a Makita because right. it sounded foreign, but he'd buy a craftsman from Sears <laughs> and would never question it, right? So I think there's there's something smart happening here in terms of marketing. I think there's an understanding 
that when we talk about the average guy, the Tom, Dick, and Harry, that middle America flyover state guy, they might be reading about Nikola and go, I'd never buy a Chevy because they build them in Mexico. But this Nikola guy, he's building them in, you know, Livonia or something. Well, and again, which is in Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For all the listeners out there, like they just had to go, like they're on their Google maps. They're in Eastern Europe looking around. No, no, no. Livonia is in Michigan, guys. Oh God. (laughs) No, you bring up a good point about how that, how people might respond to that. But I'll be honest. I think that in the realm, what brands have cachet in the EV space from a, they're a hot commodity they have brand loyalty, brand recognition, authenticity with them. I think Nikola had dollar signs attached to them. I, I mean, maybe, maybe I go the not. other way. I think the average American thinks that Nikola Tesla invented the electric car in the 1980s, uh, <laughs> soon after inventing the death ray and the earthquake machine, and that Nikola the truck and Tesla the car are the same company. I think people are uninformed, but that's a special level of uninformed. But again, George Carlin was also, he's been proven right a, a lot in the last <laughs> decade. So, oh, yeah. And he's been dead for two of them. So. And he's been dead, yeah, and he's been dead for two of them. So it's like, uh, yeah, I guess I do think people that are interested in electric cars are genuinely seeking authenticity in different ways. But there are still traditional buyers that also look to trust brands they've known for a long time. And so GM knows that. And I think GM can leverage both sides of that conversation to a certain extent. Yeah, it's it's rough. It was such a smart play by, um, I don't even know this dude's name, but I mean, I think at some point it was a con and then it got like super big. And then it was like, oh God, I got to do something now. And then it somehow became more profitable to make it into a real company instead of a con. You talking about Trevor Milton, the CEO of Nikola? Well, I wasn't going to name him because he likes to sue people, but sure. Trevor, <laughs> Trevor, we'd love to have you on the show, bro. We'd like, love to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah, you, you just invited a boatload of people, journalists, out to your guys' offices. You guys had a conversation. Some, and a lot of these were, were Tesla fanboy YouTubers that were just hyper skeptical. But hey, if you want to come and have a conversation with us about why we should not be, I'm game to have that conversation. But Joe and I have also been around the block enough times in the auto sector to kind of be like, does it fully pass the smell test? I mean, again, oh, I'm, no. being, Not I'm being more skeptical than, than you are, but... I mean, I, are you? I mean, I think the difference is in how we view GM's role. I think, I think we're both equally skeptical of Nikola. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think this guy could make a burger, let alone a pickup truck. The thing that just led me to go like, I don't know what's going on here. And you just kind of said it well, which is like, he had this idea, then it started to grow, and then he realized he had to make it more like concrete. The realities of what what people were expecting from them. And it kept being a lot of just conversation and people, uh, we want to drive in the truck. Fine. Come drive in the truck. Okay, fine. You let them drive in the truck, one truck for 10 minutes. Then you release a bunch of drawings of a, of a small pickup called the Badger that supposedly was going to compete with Cybertruck. I mean, that's where I was like, where is this going? This is just reaching for things left and right. So all of a sudden, oh my God, $2 billion deal with GM. I was like, someone's better at talking people into things than I am. (laughs) That's just it, right? Like, I I think what Trevor really has going for him is this like cult of personality. He has an ability to pitch, an ability to counter, an ability to close. And he closed people, not at GM. I don't think he closed anybody at GM. I mean, Mary Barris, smart. Other people at GM are smart. I think he got a lot of people who were investors, day traders, and he convinced them and closed them that he actually had something and he did it 
to such an extent that it, he kind of had to deliver and he went to GM and GM, I think actually had something to sell him. And that's, and that's what will be interesting to see how this all plays out in time with the Nicola brand, sure. with the Badger, with the Badger truck. Is, but look at what else, look at what else is out there. He couldn't go to Volkswagen because right. Volkswagen doesn't have an electric truck. They got this car thing. It's not a truck. He couldn't go to Ford. Ford isn't making batteries. Ford isn't making electric trucks. Yeah. Ford has made waves and has made a big deal of announcing that they're not going to sink their cash reserves into developing their own batteries. So he can't go to them. I don't think Tesla gives Trevor the time of day, much (laughs) as I think he wants Elon's attention desperately. He doesn't get it. You know, GM saw all that money and said, oh, we'll build that for you. GM's an older company and they know what makes the world go around when it comes to how you, it's not easy to build cars. And if you need capital cars, that's exactly right. Yeah, and if you need capital to build out new innovations related to your manufacturing process, strategically, sound move. It, honestly, though, as we're talking about this, it just makes me, you were listing off all these different you know, legacy brands that were, like what his options were. And then it makes me think of what, you know, what was announced yesterday. And we didn't really plan to talk about this. I'm not sure if we want to yet. But with Lucid and the Air and how that presentation and, and how it looks what they have developed feels. Yeah, I think it's worth bringing up just because it is so much the opposite of this where yeah for all the noise that lucid has made they've really only made it in the ev community that was looking for what they were doing they haven't really been pounding their chest in terms of ipos and you know uh fire festival like events (laughs) (laughs) it's true let's not forget that that's a real thing Which reminds me, Trevor released a second wave of uh, Honey Badger pickup trucks. Did you uh, did you send him some money there, uh, Matt? I, I didn't. I'm more interested for for him to come on the show f- so we can have a conversation as to why I should do that. Yeah, he's not coming on the show unless we get Elon on the show. Face it. Oh well, we just got to Elon. We just got to tweet at him. He'll respond. I mean. That's what he does. <laughs> Why don't you tweet at Elon? Hey, hey Elon, we, we want Trevor to be on our podcast, but he won't do it unless you do it. So why don't, you just say, <laughs> why don't we say yeah. that you're going to do it, but then like really you don't have to. All right. No, I so think I, um, that whole Elon thing, that's, that's gold. The Elon, we should use the Elon thing. To, to the lucid point, I think that as you're describing those, those, those brands, I, that the contrast of what Nikola is or might be compared to what lucid is, is and i think is <laughs> not might be i th- there's a very stark contrast there and so um and i think it speaks to what's happened is that there are certain electric vehicle companies and brands that that, that, that is their core competency and they focus on what needs to happen to bring that to light and to market i mean let's be honest the, the lucid presentation was a, straight up the tesla playbook 100 percent. i'm not sure if you watched the whole thing but it was i, um, I did not um and, I, and i'll tell you this i the one thing that really blew my mind was the emphasis that they put on panel gaps and build quantity, build quality rather. Oh yeah. I did not watch the whole presentation, but the little that I did see, which was like 15 minutes of it. It really seemed like their playbook was what is Tesla criticized for? Mm-hmm. We have addressed it. Well, and predominantly if you look at what Tesla is best at, it's what goes on underneath. It's the battery, it's the software, it's, it's, you know, how do you use the car by charging it? But yeah, the, the, the criticisms they get are, you, dude, you built my car in a tent, bro. 
you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like Home Depot. What was the thing now? There's like these Home Depot, like corner edges holding the cooling system together. Oh, dude. Yeah. Like the, like the, the safety strap zip tie looking thing on the model wise. I was like, yeah, that ain't good. Um, but, but, but it works. No, I mean, it you works. Know, again, it works. It's gonna, you know, uh, we, we all saw the movie used cars at some point when he reaches in under the dash and it's yellow <laughs> primer. It's yeah. Yellow <laughs> primer. <laughs> No, but I, I think that, that that speaks to Lucid knew how to address that, but they're also the buyer they're going for is um is an S class buyer. They they people are like, oh, this is a Tesla killer. I'm like, Mm-mm, I don't think so. And there's uh, a gentleman I know in the industry, uh, EV Adoption is his handle on Twitter. Really smart guy named Lauren, and he said no. He goes, this is you have to ask, what are they positioning the product as? This is an S class competitor. This is you want a high end fit finish, super nice materials. That's what they're doing. And that car is going to cost $170,000. So that's different. Uh, it's, than- it's very different. And I also think it's worth mentioning that one of the things that hurt the Prius brand was when Tesla started producing, not even the Model, the model 3, but the Model S, the demographic of people that were buying a lot of those Priuses were two hundred and fifty plus thousand dollar people, oh. and that's only because Toyota's demographic research went to two hundred and fifty thousand plus. You know, mm-hmm. I, I knew some people that had Priuses that they could have bought a dealership if they wanted to. Oh, and it was then, all altruism. Yeah, it was all altruism exactly. And when the Model S came out, they could project their altruistic tendencies yeah. into the public and send that message more loudly with a Model S. I think a lot of those people that are buying those more heavily equipped Model S's and Model Y's, they're not buying that from a competitive point of view. They're buying that because that is the most electric thing they can buy. Oh, totally. It's, when, it's, it's, an, it's an image projection. Yeah. It's an image projection. I think the Lucid is going to be that next step of like, you've had the Model S, Weren't you sick of how cheap it was? Now buy this. And I think the way that uh, Rawlinson and his team, I think Derek Jenkins is their VP of design. I think they did a great job of positioning how their brand and product is that. It's like, you want high end? Welcome to Lucid. And I think they did a good job of presenting it that way. You know, it's the difference between, you know, a a Rolex and an Apple Watch, where so many people look at an Apple Watch as a high-end expensive thing. But in the world of watches, you know, at the end of the day, it's very inexpensive compared to what's out there and also very complicated where something more simple, more refined, you know, I think we talk about that word refinement in a different way when it comes to EVs versus internal combustion cars. But you are just going to have a quieter, smoother ride in an electric car than you can have in an internal combustion car. I think that the, the moment that people that have the, the you know, disposable income or just the income in general to be shopping for a $150,000 vehicle, the moment they get a chance to go sit in a Lucid, I think that they're going to be very wowed. This goes, this goes perfectly with my Submariner. I mean, yes. Yeah. This goes with my Burberry scarf and my, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that they're, they're doing the right thing from what I can see to position themselves that way. Nicola, on the yeah. other hand, I think they're really going after that, like for lack of a better term, that meat and potatoes guy that wants a truck. Yeah. I think it's, it's very true. No, totally oh, different guy. Someone made the remark of, Oh wow. The, the lucid air is a, is a Porsche Taycan killer or something along those lines. I went, no. And this gets back to the fuel conversation because it runs on a different fuel. People are treating it like, Oh, that means you're only interested in that element of it. It's like, no, yes. I'm interested in the type of car I want. And it right. just so happens that cars that are electric that are in these competitive fields now 
happened to shine very brightly against what have been the longstanding gas vehicles that have been the mainstays. Guess what happened? The Model S and the Model 3 have completely eaten up a bunch of market share from Audi and BMW in regard to you know, five series sales, three series sales, uh, A5, A8. And that's the part that people have seen what's happened with Tesla. You'll notice in all the presentation, uh, Rawlinson kept saying, to our nearest competitor, to which he was alluding to Tesla. Yeah, but it's a smart play because he could be saying he could be saying it to BMW. It really depends on the conversation. Exactly. So, zero to 60 times. Well, our, our nearest competitor is about a second and a half slower to 60. Is that the S63 AMG? Is that the BMW M5? Right. Is that the Tesla Model S? It's all of them, right? It's whichever exactly. one you are shopping against kind of morphs into that for this competition. And I think it's interesting what you said about, you know, people look at that one aspect of it, of what powers it and say, well, that must be the thing that you are interested in because it's the thing that I see. We talk a lot about cars because we're car guys, but this applies to two wheel things too, right? Like right now there's a, a Vespa Electrica, right? It's the electric Vespa and it's a very mainstream kind of thing. It looks like a Vespa, it's, you know, quacks like a Vespa and walks like a Vespa. It does its thing. And like, to me that there was one electric Vespa, right? Because I like Vespas. I think they're cool. I've had a couple of them, but I was recently talking this was through clean technica. I was talking to a guy named Joe constantly and he was at a Chinese brand called new like N I U. And I'm talking to this guy, like he's some kind of niche dude selling these things out of a kiosk at the mall. I don't really understand who I'm talking to. And he starts talking about how they have, so they are the market leader in electric two wheelers and they have over 400,000 of these things on the road. And I think Vespa has sold 800 of these things. Seriously. Yeah. That's a, that's a vast gap. Holy cow. And, and it just kind of goes to show like the Chinese market and the Asian market for EVs is totally different than the American and European. And, you know, maybe we need to say Western and Eastern, like the Eastern market yeah. for motorcycles and two wheelers is 10 or a hundred times bigger than it is here oh, yeah. in the than what we know. So these guys that are making an electric scooter, not only electric scooter, but a, a connected electric scooter, right? Like they communicate with each other and all that. They're really in something that here in the States is a niche brand, but they're huge. I mean, yeah. he was telling me they're, they're expecting to cross a billion connected miles by the end of the month dude that's insane so like i remember when tesla announced their billionth mile driven with their fleet which was like 2015 and that was predominantly because of model s and that took them about i mean s came out in like what was that 2012 ish so that took them about three years again that's a much more expensive vehicle but these are the types of numbers that you described like between market to market we don't see that in the states it's no. we just have a different way of understanding experience in transportation for them to be hitting those numbers that's, that's incredible. And, you know, and we talk about like, you know, the idea of legacy brands, but when we're really saying legacy brands, we're talking about the American and European brands that we're kind of familiar with as yeah. Westerners, right? Like maybe the question isn't how do these, you know, Chinese brands and these upstart brands work their way into this market. Maybe it really is the GM approach of do everything for China. Like how do we get into that market? Yeah. No, it's interesting to put it that way because it, it, and that's what, again, GM knows that. I mean, a lot of what they've been developing is going to be tailored to where they have to be building electric cars as opposed to where they have the option to say, are consumers demanding this from us, which is what they have referenced here in North America. 
here in the States, we are not understanding what goes on outside of our borders in a big way related to these, these topics. And so a lot of these big companies that are, again, these are big companies. I mean, They're global really, companies. Yeah, global companies. They don't really have a footprint here yet, but that's not going to be forever. We're going to have these moments of, oh, wow, there's going to be these new brands coming to market in the States that, where is it made? But the problem is how often have, have the products coming from Asia, like, oh, it's made in China, like that terminology here in the States, that still to some people might be like, well, I've never bought anything from China, especially even automobile. Eh, I don't know yet. Well, but look at the, you know, those same people probably have an iPhone. They're probably typing away on a MacBook made in China about how crappy Chinese stuff is and their MacBook works like a champion. Well, no, oh, 100%. I think that, but that is a United States brand that manufactures the product in China and brings it back for them to use. Whereas we're talking about brands specifically from Asia that want to have a footprint here in the States, there's, there's a tough nut to crack there for them from a brand perception perspective. Maybe new should buy the Cushman brand from Harley or like the, the Harley topper brand and just make little scooters that way. Dude, seriously, hundred percent. Nobody would care. No one would give a damn. They'd be like, Oh cool. I'll buy five. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy five. Yeah. That's uh that's uh, throw, you know, throw them in the back of the lucid air and uh, say, take them home. That matters. Consumer perception totally matters. And in the realm of electrification for a long time, that's meant authenticity, but to a certain extent to hit the mainstream, it also might mean, you didn't know what you were looking, looking at in the first place, so welcome to this new thing. You yeah, know? we can get really meta here and say, what's authentic? Oh, that's... Is, well, is I, the I design authentically American, Matthew? <laughs> well, I, A, I don't have my smoking jacket. <laughs> so I, really, I really can't have this conversation. Yeah, it's, uh, it's adequate. It'll be fine. It's adequate. I'll, have, uh, I'll have a cranberry juice. So. Uh, that's what I'm drinking. <laughs> be a, a pink cranberry vodka ladies and gentlemen and uh i i feel fancy i'm not gonna lie Pinks i think up. this might be the first episode that we're not only did we talk about everything we meant to talk about we did not talk about jeff goldblum ah, but now we can now we can all right so i think gonna... we got a show buddy <laughs> i think so too <laughs> on that note peace out ladies and gentlemen the electrify expo is coming to california in 2021 Forecasted to be the largest e-mobility festival in the USA, learn how you can attend or get involved by visiting electrifyexpo.com. Be sure to find out more information about Electrify Expo on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you once again for listening. We'll see you next week with an all-new podcast discussing the latest in the world of e-mobility. Thanks for listening to the Electrify Podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.